Hello again, dear listeners, to another chilling season of the Dying for Midnight podcast. Dim the lights, close the curtains, embrace yourself for the horror movie discussion that awaits you. for Valentine's Day. She's gonna love this music box. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to another week of the Dying for Midnight podcast. This is Case. This is Carrie. Does anyone else think, and I've been thinking about this a lot this week, that we as horror fans need more genuinely realistic and complex character and mystery-driven plots from the Haunted House subgenre? Carrie, what do you think? I could go for that. I mean, you have those movies that have a lot of atmosphere. They might not have so much gore, but there's still good stories out there. So it just feels like haunted house movies have been boiled down to someone is possessed inside this house or there is a demonic force within this house. There are only a few haunted house films in the past decade and a half that have really held my attention or impressed me the way this week's movie has. Um, Because here is what it has become in my humblest of opinion, and I can see the Lebowski memes coming out. Like, that's just like your opinion, man. Okay, but just stay with me. Do you not know that there was ritualistic killings in the basement? Well... The person responsible from 1924 has now possessed a family member occupying the house in 2024. And if this feels familiar to you, um, like it does to me, I think it's all too familiar. It's becoming too much of the same wash, rinse, and repeat. Or try this one on for size. Tell me if you heard this one before. That new neighbor or the free-spirited Uncle Larry is secretly part of a coven and has now unleashed their nefarious and evil plans, decades in the making. Where is the unraveling of the mystery through symbolism and character-driven detective work? What is the motivation of the energy of the house, which used to come from a tormented human or human spirit? No, no. Instead, the chairs start twirling upside down in the first five minutes, or the dog whines and sniffs something out late at night, and the family is horrified to find him dead the next morning. Keep your pets inside, by the way. The problem in said house is almost immediately uncovered within the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film. I want a good lead up. I want a good, like, you're not sure what's really going on into this house. Exactly. Now, okay, listen, I, I mean, I'm trying to level with people here that are fine with the current state of affairs in the haunted house subgenre. Um, and yes, I'm over dramatizing this to get to the point of today's film. I mean, would it help if we had more haunted house movies with vampires or zombies? Is that what people seem to want? Again, this is just subjective in my opinion. It feels like 
everything is boiled down to vampires, zombies, or something heady or cosmic. Is it just me, Carrie? Mm, no, I, I mean, I, I could be down with a vampire house possession slash movie. I'd be down with that. I'm kind of over the zombie thing. I just, I just am. Yeah. Um, personally, I think you need to have a good character plot. You need to have a good story. You need to have good atmosphere. And I think, you know, those types of movies can be hard to come by. Well, here's a qu- an impromptu question, because we were talking about taking zombie toots and ghostly puppers to see this movie at some point, maybe. Is Frankenstein, is that, is that starting to eke over into the zombie subgenre? Because I feel like we've gone from, again, the mystery of the actual Baron von Frankenstein and his scientific creation to now look at the... The girl with her cute undead boyfriend. Um, and again, I still want to see this movie. Yeah, it looks fun. It looks so much fun. But I, I guess you could call it a zombie movie. I mean, it is undead, but at the same time, you know... Can I tell you something? It's it's, it's still a monster movie, too. What, what a bad feeling I have about Lisa Frankenstein. I, I think I know where you're going. Somebody said, remember Warm Bodies? We should do yeah. that again. But I love warm bodies, but I so don't, I would I don't be happy. Get, I don't, that movie doesn't get high rewatch value for me. I, I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking it. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. Um, it's the same neon vintage 80s retro style that they used in Renfield that they're using again in Lisa Frankenstein. And they're using it in cosmic horror, and they're using it in heady A24 horror, and I'm starting to just get a little bit eensy-weensy picky about all this. Anyways, if you had to ask me what are the subgenres that are, for the most part, dead, I would say the following. Werewolves, road trip horror, and animated horror, and then the true haunted house film, like the one we're going to talk about here eventually once I shut my pie hole. (laughs) Zombies, they need to die off for a while. I agree with you, but they just won't. It's almost like somebody says, well, this isn't exactly zombie per se. It's Lisa Frankenstein's undead boyfriend. He's the only one. She can only relate to the zombie. Can I tell you something? (laughs) You know what it is? And I'm, I'm just going to tell you. I had you, to find something to nitpick this week. You know what it is? <laughs> yes. It's because more people will go to see those kinds of movies if you have the drama comedy in it. Like, you're not just going to get horror fans, is what I'm saying. You're going to get more I got people. that the moment I saw the PG-13 rating. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. So, you know what? There's another one. There's another subgenre. It feels like creators are trying to get the cryptozoology uh or the monster movies going but it never really takes hold for very long like i'm not necessarily talking about kaiju like we all like we i can't comment on uh godzilla minus one except everybody tells me it's effing awesome and you must see it i wanted to see it okay but that's still not that's more sci-fi than horror to me but I like both, so... Of course, in this podcast, when you do the horrors of war, <laughs> then to me, anything goes. <laughs> Buried or burial. Burial. was called that we covered. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, you could uh, you could argue that Aliens is sci-fi horror. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's horror. That's there's way more horror elements in that than any Godzilla movie. So yeah. Anyways, um, the kaiju fans are gonna come knocking. But anyways, the the then you've got like I said before, A24 tries to get folk horror going, but as we talked with the Jake the Midnight Traveler, um, their formula has been kind of found out. It's getting tired for me. Like there's the the symbolism in some kind of relic or some kind of person um, or some kind of cult thing. And then they, they do something shocking to start off that movie. And we kind of know everything within the first five or 10 minutes, just like what's happening to haunted house movies. Yeah. It's like <clears throat> shock you. Everything's revealed right away. Look, I'm done ranting. Cause now, now no, it's going to, I'm going to, no, I have one more thing to say. Further. There's one A24 movie that didn't do that. Well, and that's but, hereditary. You didn't get the reveal to the end. Yeah, that's fine, but it's still okay. To like, see, this is what I mean. We're getting away from. I know. House I know. Yeah, they still have the thing where they shock you. The girls, you know, the little sister is the yeah. shocking moment at that. Yeah. One. But anyways, I, I'm gonna end this rant with something positive about okay. the haunted house subgenre, and actually, my hope comes from the found footage genre. Okay, we've talked about our love in season one about movies like Paranormal Activity 3 and Hell House. Um, but with each passing year, I'm just saying movies like this week's 1980 film, they're becoming rarer and rarer. Uh, Deadstream's another found footage film that gets the haunted house subgenre right. And I think it does it very cleverly. So I'm just saying that. I mean, any rarer, and we're going to have to say Hannes. Hauntus. <laughs> that's my old buddy Hauntus. Haunted house films like this one, they're a period piece. Um, that's what they're becoming because it just they don't make these anymore. Which, hey, that's another whole subgenre. Oh, I got an idea. Non-existent. I got an idea. If you can wait just one second, <laughs> I'm almost done. If you can make an engaging period piece or on a budget, you may be onto something. And no, I'm not talking about making your characters wear neon and say, hey, it's an 80s slasher, which, by the way, uh, you cannot make your horror film set in 1981 and assume people are already dressing like it's 1986. Think about that one. I also hate it when movies get the music wrong and feature something from later in the decade when we've still got moments and elements of the previous decade still going on in this year. No matter, T. West has already capitalized on the 80s period piece, so you've got stiff competition there if you even go there. The 90s are the thing to recreate, I guess. Even getting closer to 2000s being retro, which no, I'm not makes right. me feel super old. No. I, I, I mean, give me a period haunted house movie. Yeah. Like, give me that. Like, show, because you could go back and, they, hit, and and go back into where they're in, in the like. The evil periods are yeah. hunting all the women in the house. <laughs> you hey. give me an evil period movie. <laughs> hey, you hey, never listen, know. Listen. That's on the rise. Movies. Yep, about periods. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's on the rise. I'm going to stop it right there. <laughs> Come okay. on. Yeah. I've got some things to say, and I'm not going to say them here. <laughs> Anyways. No, more like they turn into look, like a animals and monsters and they look, eat people. Look what's happening to Julia. Something's possessing her, no, period. <laughs> seriously. They could turn into monsters and eat and eat things uh, like people whenever they get their period. Why not? Okay. This huh. is like, uh, what's that What's that call where the girl's got the teeth in her vajayjay and I don't know. Jennifer's body bullshit going I don't know. 
All right. Well, anyways, look, look. Obviously, my frustrations of the past week and our normie lives are starting to come out because I'm really yeah. going on a hard rant here. Um, no evil period movies, thank you. <laughs> no, I let me put, let me say this. I would watch that. I would totally watch. You enjoyed it stained it stained red. It stains the sand red. red. Yeah. <laughs> To be clear, we're not talking about somebody just spilling wine. Okay. Um, yeah, anyways. Wow. Again, this is the problem with not having the xylophone. Not sitting right in front of us, staring at us, saying, You motherfuckers, you better hurry up. Quit getting off track with your long rants about why haunted house movies stink and why there should be evil periods lurking about. So anyways, welcome to episode 47. A welcome to George C. Scott and Wife's Canadian Tax Shelter Haunted House Call Flick, The Changeling. <laughs> and and that's not far off. <laughs> listen, right now we're going to talk about this film. It's a hell of a haunted house film with no evil periods that may just be the most well executed from top to bottom, where something unique happens that has not happened in any other haunted house movie, and we'll explain more of that later. We don't want to spoil it for those of you who have not caught yourself up with this one. You have the main house, the house with the well, and another person's house where this pissed off little spirit can wreak havoc. So, before we spoil this week's Northern Treat, let's dive into the movie Morsels and play that trailer. Let me... Here's another thing I wanted to add to this episode. There's a George C. Scott movie out there also from 1971 that does does not nearly get as much love as say this or the exorcist three everybody talks about the change lane in that movie but there's another one that needs attention but i'll i'll hold for later within this old house live two residents one of them is John Russell, composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Claire, I'd like to talk to you about the house. Did you die in this house? How did you die? Whatever it is, it's trying desperately to communicate. What is it in that house, Claire? What is it doing? Why is it trying to reach me? It's a hand. something of the senators he wants it back will frighten you. 
but only a few can really terrify you. The Changeling, an experience beyond total fear. Okay, Carrie, thoughts on that trailer? That's actually a lot to unpack for a 1980 trailer. It is. I, you know, I come, I'm kind of wishing that trailers were a little bit longer now, personally. Just just a tad longer than they are. Um, uh, have you not seen, like, the Mission Impossible trailers? Well, that's... Yeah, they, well, they have to be. I mean, Tom Cruise think about it. usually makes all the right moves. <laughs> um, this trailer, it, it gives a lot away. The music surrounding the entire, you know, from start to finish, it changes as the mood of the movie changes. It shows some of my favorite scenes. Yeah, I think you summed it up nicely. Um, I really got us off track out of the gate in this episode, so I'm just going to say I agree. It's fairly spoiler heavy, especially with the symbolism. Um, There is something missing in trailers today, and you started touching on that. That are shown here. I like the tracking overhead shot of the car, which I know you, dear listener, can't see. But if you pop it up on YouTube as you're listening, um, as he enters the property, just following the car from up above, leading up to the house. And I always miss the title cards at the end with the tagline. And this trailer, like the movie, oozes atmosphere. And I'd still watch it even though i felt like um it said too much yeah it still interests me yeah yeah um if you've not watched this that trailer is going to make you want to watch it um if you really want to go in cold though don't watch the trailer um moving right along to another section of movie morsels called poster and tagline um the first poster that we're looking at is the one that everybody's familiar with it's got the wheelchair it's got the shadow of the little boy the red outline, and it asks, how did you die, Joseph? Did you die in this house? Why do you remain? I'm not even going to attempt a George C. Scott yeah. voice. No. Now, I liked this. I always like it when I find really good horizontal posters, um, and I especially love it in the 70s and 80s when they say, like this, first, the exorcist, then the omen, now the changeling and they beat the horror fan over the head say hey you're the one that liked those movies right yeah. here you go here's, here's a- another one <laughs> jinx you owe me a cup <laughs> so then carrie i wanted to share this one with you because this poster this third one we're talking about is the italian poster Ooh. and how do you know it's the italian poster because they've got the church symbolism everywhere yeah they said hey uh italians that includes myself Hey, Catholics, also me, Um, you know, you're religious. Look at this haunted house movie that deals with dead people. What do you think happens when you die? Well, in this movie, it might not be exactly what you think. And of course, they turn it into a beautiful painting, not just a backdrop with a painting of a chair. This one's more elaborate. Oh, it it costs them more. Typical Italian style. Um, My one thing thing that i don't like is that there's a woman at the top of this italian poster and it makes it seem like she's been killed by somebody and well yeah watch the movie to find out why that may or may not work (laughs) thoughts on all these posters carrie so i i enjoyed the first one 
just the most the classic, the the classic one, one that everybody knows it's the one they feature on the dvd yeah it there's good contrast with the colors and it focuses on the wheelchair mm-hmm. which is a main focus of this movie yeah um I, i'm actually gonna go with the horizontal horizontal i can't even talk i'm gonna go with the second one that we mentioned just because i just love how they're trying to capitalize on horror fans uh and grab their attention the third one, it's really good. I yeah. mean, this is like, I could see somebody having this framed and be like, wow, I've never seen the Changeling poster like that. It would it would be, be like, nice well, to have, a yeah. Italian poster. Um, it would be really nice to have. Uh, it's definitely more... Colorful. Yeah. So anyways, guys, moving on to alternate taglines. And for those of you new to us, this is a, a moment of movie morsels where... Um, you know, we kind of like to give our own little creative spin on what we think should be featured either in the trailer or on the movie poster. Carrie, you start us off. Murder and mystery awaits you in this beautiful house. He dares to stay. See if he survives. I love it. And I think, I think that's perfect because when you see the change lane, you're seeing it for George C. Scott. You're seeing it for the Academy Award winning George C. Scott, although he doesn't want the Academy Award, and that's a whole other story. By the way, check the episode out on Joe Bob because it's got a ton of trivia on it. Um, Mine is, and I'm going to be even more overt with my George C. Scott love, join George C. Scott as he attends a concert of chills, thrills, and sinister mystery over 70 years in the making. So that's mine. That's a good one. <laughs> you like my little trailer voice? <laughs> oh, Male Wolf. Hey, buddy. Okay. Where are we streaming this thing, Male Wolf? Uh, there's some things on here that I'm not familiar with, actually. I've, I'm have i new to the idea of Screenbox. That's fine. You can stream it if you've got that through the Prime Video channels. Guys, listen. Let me just cut to the chase here. You know you can rely on Tubi. And you can, once again, if you want to see the changeling with ads, of course, uh, it's got it on good old Pluto and Plex. If you got a Peacock subscription, you're in luck. Indie picks. I get it. I've never used it and I have no clue what con TV is. Do you? I've never heard of it. That's the first I've ever seen it. Yes. Male wolf. No, we do not have screen box and no, we do not need screen box. No, lay down. We might have a, no, that's a different one that we have a trial through. Yeah. Yeah. God, are you telling me I need to hurry up and cancel something? <laughs> you might. You might. Uh, Male Wolf, you're supposed to be keeping track of these things, but it's okay. Lay down. Um, okay, the Male Wolf says that we've got a lot of different options. If you want the Severin, you're going to have to pony up for their special edition um, Blu-ray. A little over 33 bucks. That might be a little too much for my liking, but if you are a huge Changeling fan... Um, and this movie is growing on me over time for sure. Go ahead. You're going to have to fork it up a little bit. But you could get a used copy of just the good old-fashioned DVD for 5 bucks on eBay. Um, if you really need to have the Blu-ray, you can definitely get it for under 25 So that's about it for me. Usually, I'll tell you what. Usually, you got to be careful. Unless you're spending money on the special edition from like the likes of Synapse or Severin or Vinegar Syndrome um or even the kino lorber classics there's there's so many out there now it's so funny how many boutique 
physical media release things are out there. But anyways, a lot of the times the DVDs will have the special features and the Blu-rays do not. Yeah. So that would just be the one thing that we all want to mention is that um, we try not to just say, ooh, look, they have it on Blu-ray. That's the newest thing for us and hurry up and get that. And You got to look, like search that DVD up. As I'm sure you all know, like even on eBay, find the back picture of it where it'll list the special features. A lot of the Blu-rays do not have the special features that the DVDs do. I, and I, for me personally, this is a movie that I wouldn't need a Blu-ray on. I want the grittier version. I want that on this type of movie. Yeah, I mean, I, you're, if you really want that, find a VHS. Mm, where, yeah, where's that VHS player that we used you're to have? You're not getting a huge jump in quality no. from DVD to Blu-ray. No, I... It looks pretty much the same. I I would go with I wouldn't spend more than than ten dollars on this yeah. personally. Uh, but you know if you need to round out your little corner of Canadian tax shelter films in your physical collection, go for it. It is uh, worth having because it it is going to at some essential. point be a classic. No no no. Let's rephrase that. It is a classic. It is a classic, but for the newer generations. That's true. It's going to be a classic. We believe the children are the future. <laughs> Show them the change lane and let them lead the way. Uh, wow. Guys, that about does it for Male Wolf's Physical Media. Uh, Carrie, take it away with a spoiler warning. And then after that, we will hear from Jake the Midnight Traveler. Welcome to the DFM Spoilers Incline. If you haven't watched this week's film or aren't a spoiler hound, you may want to skip this ride. For everyone else, welcome aboard. Please take a seat. Reminder to passengers, as we descend, we ask that you not feed the ghouls or hounds of hell. Enjoy the nightmarish landscape by moonlight as we descend 6,666 eons of brimstone. You now have arrived at your final destination. Spoilers ahead. You were warned. For more information on what an incline is, Google that shit. Now comes DFM's very own Jake the Midnight Traveler. No, he's an emotional support male wolf. Case and Carrie. It's 11.30 p.m. Do you know who your children are? Greetings, all my friends of fear and fright. It's Jake. The Midnight Traveler here once again to dish about another delicious delicacy of haunted happenings on your screen of choice. I gotta say, I really dug this week's entry. A deep cut, slow burn classic that sadly too many have overlooked amongst the masses, but should be a good pick on a chilly autumn night to take in for a pretty good ride into the other side of death. Yep. We go into the revered haunted house subgenre with another Canadian classic, 1980s The Changeling. I think I was at the end of my 20s when I finally saw this. The cover art that most people see for this, to me, almost gives it a feeling of some kind of monster movie. Or at least, that's the impression that I got. However, once viewed... This is a classic haunted house tale of the highest order with a multi-layered mystery and several locations to boot. 
The movie begins with the sudden and tragic death of the entire family of one John Russell, played masterfully by George C. Scott, and continues with his choice to head for the West Coast to take up a teaching position and time to grieve for the loss that he suffered. For some strange reason, he chooses a massive mansion to live in completely alone while he's working at the university. And with this being a horror film, well, things start to get weird right away. Now, this makes it sound overly simplistic, I know, but that is the beauty of this film. While it does have a very simple premise, the intricacies of the plot are expertly woven into that simple structure beautifully. When put together as this film has been, you can throw in whatever you want. And this one is ambitious, to say the least. You have a powerful family with a past, strange noises at odd hours, information covered up for decades to avoid scandal, or worse. In terms of the scare scenes, the one with the ball coming back really struck me. And those of you who are fans of King Diamond will love the wheelchair scenes, which serve as the centerpiece of the scares, and as you can see, show up a lot in the artwork for this film. Also adding to the tension, this is loosely based on a true story. Yep, but the powers that be with this didn't really seem to want to play up that angle. Well, when I got wind of this, I had to do a little digging here and there, and Wikipedia and IMDb proved invaluable. To quote the latter, the film's screenplay was inspired by mysterious events that allegedly took place at the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion in Cheeseman Park in Denver, Colorado, while playwright and screenwriter Russell Hunter was living there during the 1960s. After experiencing a series of unexplained phenomena, Hunter said he found a century-old journal in a hidden room detailing the life of a disabled boy who was kept in isolation by his parents. During a seance, he claimed, the spirit of a deceased boy directed him to another house where he discovered human remains and a gold medallion bearing the dead boy's name. Henry Treat Rogers, a wealthy Denver attorney, was childless, but prior inhabitants of the house remain undocumented. The mansion was demolished during the 1980s and was replaced with a high-rise apartment building. As you can tell, a lot of the meat of this story was taken right from that bone. On top of that, having another location for the body was a big step out of the traditions for haunted house sagas. However, if one has done any research, then they can see that situations like this are a lot more common in real-life hauntings, and this film leans into that to devastating effect. Also of note here, we have a great restrained performance from the mighty George C. Scott. Infamous for fiery performances in Patton, Hardcore, Twelve Angry Men, and one of my personal favorites, Angus, he really pulls back here and performs brilliantly in this with a quiet desperation as he tries to figure his way into and out of the intricate supernatural web that he has found himself in. 
I encourage all who look at Scott as a one-trick pony to check this out for a great look at the range he had. I don't want to spoil the ending here. I'll leave that to you too, Case and Carrie. But I can say that I didn't fully see it coming and was impressed with the fiery climax of the film. Once again, this one gets the Midnight Traveler seal of approval, but I will recommend that if you do watch this, pay close attention. There is a lot going on here, and this is not a film to be played during a rowdy party with a lot going on around it. This demands your attention, and deservedly so. I think that this will wrap it up for me here tonight. I must be on my way. I heard there's an estate sale out west, and I've had my eye on a vintage wheelchair for some time now. Hopefully it doesn't come with a tragic pass, or even worse, a funny smell. See you next midnight, Jake. Okay, guys, Jake, miss you, buddy. We've been thinking about you a lot this week. Appreciate your insight into the plot and the man, the myth, the legend that is George C. Scott. So, yeah, I mean, we know this movie is about George C. Scott and his wife, Trish Vandeveer. Um, but I do want to take a moment, and the lady that plays Trish Vandeveer's character's mom, I want to acknowledge this woman, and her name is Madeline Sherwood, because while she's got a very small part in this film, um, we always talk about actors that act a lot with their facial expressions and their eyes on this podcast. Um this is the woman that George meets outside of the show and is later the part, one of the participate. I can't even talk participants in the underrated seance scene. Um, she portrayed may sister woman and miss Lucy in both the Broadway and film versions of Tennessee Williams, cat on a hot tin roof and sweet bird of youth. And I knew you liked cat on a hot. Oh, tin I love cat on a hot. Tin uh, roof. She was in a ton of Broadway productions, um, including the crucible. Of all things, in 1963, she won an Obie Award for Best Actress um, for *Hey You, Light Man*. Uh, off Broadway um, in television, uh, she had the role of Reverend Mother Placido to Sally Field's sister Bertrell in *The Flying Nun*. Oh, yeah. Yes, so I knew she looked familiar. Yeah, we got it. We got to give her credit because she stands out in this movie, and most people, rightfully so, talk about George and and Trish, but um, you've seen this woman before. Uh, and she's worth noting. So, yeah, directed by Peter Maddock, um, screenplay by William Gray, Diana Maddox, uh, story by Russell Hunter. The creators in this movie um, really wove a very tight, um, effective plot that really carries over multiple locations, has a few little twists here and there. Um also starring Melvin Douglas, John Colicos, Gene Harsh, and Helen Burns. Um, listen, if we're going to mention the word cinematography, you got to mention the atmosphere, the cinematographer, John Coquelin. Um, the music. The music, Rick Wilkins. Uh, and by the way, we didn't mention this earlier, but the name of this episode, we forgot to say it. We're calling this one, episode 47, The Changeling, Haunted Canadian Happenings in A Minor. Oh, yeah. And I'm saying that because there is, look it up, there is a lot of Mozart influence in this movie, and it's played 
throughout as we approach the door of the haunted house as george c scott is trying to put something together for his students on his piano as he meanders about in the haunted dark corridors and hallways of this haunted house so that's why we named it that and i think it was just i wanted to make sure we mentioned that yeah because piano and mozart plays one hell of an influence in this movie um now carrie i almost spoiled it for us earlier yeah Tell me about what makes The Changeling so unique. So this is the only movie that I have seen in a haunted house movie where you have the spirit attached to multiple items at multiple locations. And wherever those items travel to, the spirit can travel and influence and cause chaos and disruption and even death. I mean, you have... Tied to the music box. Mm -hmm. You have tied to the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. You also have tied to the medallion. Mm -hmm. And whenever you have the medallions found at the burial site with the bones, that's one location in the well. You have the music box and the wheelchair in the house. That's one and second location. And actually, he can go through the entire house because he died there. And then you have... The third part, the senator's house, where you have, when that medallion is left with a senator, you have that effect where he basically causes him to go into a trance and basically dies and has a heart attack um, through that trance. Like, so the spirit got its revenge, but it could travel with the items. I gotta tell you, I'd be more afraid of this little boy than I would be in Damien or or Linda Blair and the Exorcist. Forget those two. This guy's sorry, Mr. Satan, but this little boy's got it on both of you. Okay. Uh it's no wonder actually that they mentioned this alongside those other two because the more you watch this movie, you more you realize how powerful they made the energy Dude, in this movie. The end of the movie where he has a senator like, even though the senator's not in the house, you can see George C. Scott sees the senator's body going up the stairs in the fiery chasm and ends up up there, but he's really not there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the little boy showing what he's about to do to this senator guy yeah. that he's in the middle of doing. Yeah. Um, That's an excellent point, Gary. There's just... This is why I went on that five or ten minute rant earlier about the state of haunted house films... I want some more well-constructed plots with mystery that unravels as you dive further and further into the character and you're like alongside them um, as they uncover the mystery. I don't want to know the answer in the first quarter or third of the movie. So I have a question for you. Yes. Why do you think he reaches out to George C. Scott? I think the obvious answer is because there was a family tragedy. Well, not a tragedy, a murder. And he knows he could relate to tragedy or something terrible happening within a family. But I think the other thing is, is that he's not the first one that he tried reaching out to. And if it wasn't him, it was going to be somebody else. The question is how responsive and helpful and what content of character does that person have is going to decide whether or not that little boy stays in frustration and is never heard. Um, and maybe 
worse things happen to that person. At least George C. Scott's character facilitated the reveal. Um, and the uncovering. And the, truth, the truth finally had willed itself out. <laughs> the and the, allow the little boy to get revenge. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, the trailer shows too much. Yeah. Um, guys, that brings us to intermission. Uh, before I forget, I started mentioning this earlier. Check out George C. Scott and an often overlooker rarely talked about 1971 dark comedy that who has a whodunit element to it called The Hospital. Definitely check that one out. Black comedy, very dark comedy. And definitely, I don't want to say slasher, but it is a murder mystery kind of going on in the background. Um, very underrated. By the way, George C. Scott, the one actor that I think about every time I see him, he very much acts with his body and he's very agitated when he acts, is James Cagney. Yeah. And I said that and I went, I said, uh, let me see if I can find an interview of George C. Scott talking about the changeling. And what I stumbled on was this other interview where, lo and behold, one of his favorite actors was James Cagney. Interesting. So I had that thought. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because he's inspired by him. Um, and later on in life, he actually um, did like one of those Lifetime Achievement Awards yeah. to James Cagney. When I he thought was so. Um, Patty Chayefsky won another Oscar um, for the screenplay um, in the hospital the one that I'm bringing up now. I, I really want everybody to check this out if they can. Directed by Arthur Hiller, who made 1970's Love Story. Uh, has a heck of a cast to it, including Richard Dysart, who plays Copper from The Thing. Uh, Bernard Hughes, also known as Grandpa from The Lost Boys, is in it. And the underrated Diana Rigg, who was in Game of Thrones and Last Night in Soho. Yeah. So I highly recommend The Hospital 1971. Um, it's got the horror elements in it. It's got the comedy elements in it. And, of course, we're coming out the late 60s. Um, problems with Vietnam and, you know, urban problems starting to pop up. So, yeah, I can't recommend that one enough. Um, if you're looking for more George C. Scott, definitely check it out. Moving right along to intermission. All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors. The harmless phantoms on their errands glide With feet that make no sound upon the floors We meet them at the doorway On the stair Along the passages they come and go Impalpable impressions on the air A sense of something moving To and fro When you're looking for tires that put teeth in winter driving, drop in on the Snowbiters at Firestone. Look at them, two sets of deep, biting teeth that really gobble up snow, but they don't take a bite out of you. Right now, a polyester cord Snowbiter is just $20 plus federal excise tax, and you can charge them. For quiet running, long mileage, and plenty of traction, Firestone Town & Country Snowbiters. 
This is the voice of the uninvited. It's coming from downstairs. It comes from everywhere and nowhere. A house of terror on the haunted cliffs of Cornwall, where the uninvited walk unseen by men. Yet a cat arches its back in fright. Flowers are withered by the touch of an unseen malignant hand. Candles flicker and die as a ghostly chill fills the air, and the living are clutched by the icy horror of the restless dead. Stop, Pamela. Don't go near that door. The Uninvited, Dorothy McCardle's gripping novel of the supernatural, comes to the screen, starring Raymond Land, Ruth Hussey, Donald Crisp, with Cornelia Otis Skinner, and introducing the exciting beauty of Gail Russell, whose first love is shadowed by the specters of the past. Stella, what is it? Are you ill, Stella? Quiet. Leave her alone. Oh, God. Oh, God. Stop her, Scott. Shh. She's in a trance. I saw this happen once before at a seance. I thought it was a fake. But this isn't. I know. It's dangerous. Please get out of this house now. Now lie there quietly. I'm not afraid of anything here. Then be afraid. Be afraid for heaven's sake. When you were a little child. The evils of this house reached out for you. Stella, go! Go! Okay, guys, we are back from intermission for segment two, horror, etc. Uh, Carrie, <laughs> you're responsible for the first trailer. I am. You picked the Night House from 2020, a modern yeah. uh, haunted house film, which that one didn't come to mind, but I that one's kind of like sneaky good. It is. You're like you're you're watching. And you're like, wait, what's going on? And you want to talk about slow buildup, slow atmosphere? That's the movie. Yeah. I really like that pick. Um, yeah, like I said in my rant, there's not a whole lot going on with Haunted House right now, at least the way I want it to go. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go way, way back, way back, 80 years ago, to 1944's The Uninvited. And you could call the changeling a spiritual, pun intended, cousin to movie like The Uninvited. Oh, yeah. And if you get a chance, dear listener, if you haven't watched this one, this might be the granddaddy, the one that kicked off the idea of what elements do you need to have to make the classic haunted house film with the mystery to unravel, with the puzzle to put together, with atmosphere, with setting, with a hell of a cast. Not straight up horror and gore, but with character development character development and story development and top shelf acting oh yeah not just that the changeling is not just a, a great horror film it's a great film the uninvited is not just a great haunted house movie it's a great movie highly recommend the criterion one because you're going to get a lot of history um the uninvited you could put her right up against any other haunted house. I, I think you play that today, like outside, um, within a screen, and you're just like you can be sucked in. 
be like somebody like what is this that you're watching oh well you haven't heard of 1944's the uninvited well let me pull you pull up a chair and have some break some bread with me and some wine it's that kind of haunted yeah oh yeah it's the it is the film buffs haunted house movie it's like well i've seen this and i've seen that and i've seen like you haven't seen any haunted house movies from the 30s and 40s well where do you think those movies got it from watch the uninvited and i'm just gonna say it's a good movie to introduce kids to. Great gateway horror. Yeah. It could give them nightmares. It could. There are some pretty yeah. chilling things that happen for a mid-40s movie. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah. depending on the type of kid you have. I cannot imagine being a guy in 1944 about to be shipped off. And this is the last movie I see before I'm shipped off. You know, this is like peak World War II here. I know. Um, so, yeah, horror movies, great horror movies always come out against the backdrop of hard times and wars. It's a thing. There's courses on this subject. So let's move right along from something <laughs> old, spooky, and serious <laughs> like world wars. Well, um, not you, anything going on no. in the world today, is there? If you think, though... You think about it, the subject matter at the beginning of the Changeling was very heavy. Very, very heavy. Oh, yeah, and we're going to get to that in yeah. a moment here. Um, favorite what the hell moment? What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is that? Okay, Steve Martin. Um, look, I'm just going to bring up something. It's got to be the big metallic cone on the table in this movie in the seance scene. It's interfering. It clashed with the mood of the scene. I would prefer one of the other items, the music box, the pendant, the chair. Remember we watched Brooklyn 45? Yeah. Brooklyn 45 didn't have some big uh, invading cone in the middle of the table that really broke my concentration. And it could just be because I'm so weird and I get fixated on things. Anything else but the stupid looking oversized metallic cone. Okay. It's oddly, this movie's got a lot of Freudian moments with inanimate objects in this film, except the metallic cone is the one that hits you over the head. Well, I mean... So that's my one. I know it's it's like, it's a conductor. spirit, reach out to this big, tall cone. Make yourself known by this dancing cone. It's a conductor. It doesn't work for me. That's fine. It doesn't work. Imagination. I don't need to. It's the big shifting metallic cone that's making a shit ton of noise. (laughs) And not just that, they're all admiring it like it's a big damn phallus. Maybe they're entranced by it. I'm entranced by the metallic phallus in the middle of the table. Come on, you're nitpicking. No, I'm not. Freudian moments in the changeling. Look it up. Uh, Carrie, what about you? I love you, Changeling, just not the metallic cone. Could have done without. Uh, For me, put it on top of my head. Walk around and cosplay. What are you? I'm the metallic cone from the Changeling. I got news for you, honey. It what? won't fit your head. <laughs> wow, that was incredibly mean. <laughs> I feel like if I die, I'm going to be haunting you, making huge tub thumping sounds. Oh, you would haunt me anyways. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Did you say haunting or something else? Haunt. <laughs> <laughs> thought you said you would haunt me anyways <laughs> anyways haunt haunt talk about a what the hell moment what's your what the hell moment <laughs> i gotta recover you. yeah uh-huh see if i care about making fun of them the size of my head you make fun of my head the size of my head all the time well it's kind of hard not to 
You would think our kids had average size. Hat, nope. But nope. One big, one small. Not small. Pea size. Pea let's, size. Let, let's, let's, well, you know. Yeah. It's obvious you have a pea size then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big brain. Small head. Mm, no. <laughs> uh oh. This episode, we're going to come to blows here. <laughs> <laughs> okay come on what the hell <laughs> okay what the hell carrie all right so mine is the reveal that the senator knows the cover-up and he sends that local detective to retrieve it and even threatens physical violence just to get the medallion i would have liked to have seen like burt reynolds in that cop role i feel like it could have worked i want to see burt reynolds and george c scott duel it out Ooh. amazing Talking about a nasty fight. That would be That would have ended in definitely a fight. Yeah. For sure. I love Sharky's Machine. That's a whole other episode, though. Anyways, um, now, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Favorite death or effect? I'll lead us off. It's got to be the family in the beginning. It doesn't matter how many times I watch this. My mouth is agape, and it's devastating. It sets the very sad tone of this film. So you went from metallic cones and the size of your head to family death in a terrible car accident. Yeah. Happy Friday, everybody. Ooh. What about you, Carrie? What's your so, favorite death or effect? I mean, I listen, that is that is a gaping and it is horrifying. But for me, and it pretty much is, there's only really three deaths in this movie mm-hmm. that I can count. Yep. Um, and th- there may be more that I'm just missing, but... For the most part, um, the entire seance scene is just, it's my favorite effect. You have this woman and this husband, the way she's just writing the words that pop up and, and it cuts to showing you through George C. Scott's character, what happened to the boy? You know, it's the revealing moment and it's not who you think the boy is. Like they think it's somebody else mm-hmm. and it ends up being this different person. Yeah. Makes you think it's Joseph. Yeah, well, no, they make you think it's the little girl that got um, ran oh, over. Right. Yeah, no, Joseph is responsible. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I'm having a senior moment, and I'm not even past 40 yet. Anyways, all right. So anything else on death or effect? No. Well, let's move right along to rating. We are in agreement on this episode. We both gave this, what rating, Carrie? Four and a half flamethrowers. Yes. The more you watch this movie, the more you pick up on and the more you realize that this is a top shelf film that happens to be a haunted house movie. It gives you everything that you want in a haunted house film. It gives you everything you want in a George C. Scott film. It gives you everything you want and it gives it to you without much gore at all. And that is a very hard thing to do to please horror fans. And yes, we all love it because of the atmosphere, but it is just a well put together movie. No. And it's what I want. I want to see more of this from Haunted House. Can somebody no. else do one like this one? Now, Not sure. if this movie was made today, they definitely would have showed more gore. And especially in the beginning. They would. Yes. The Changeling... 2024 yes there would you they would have had a special effects guy you would have seen those chandeliers impaling somebody in blood spurting you would have seen that guy die a 24 style yeah 
in that car crash, the cop that gets killed, yeah, uh, probably would have seen his head or something impaled. Um, probably the tub scene, they would have carried it all the ways to the terrible end. But we don't need that. It's not needed. No. Yes, you would you would pull in the the gore hounds with that kind of stuff, but this doesn't need that. And and I'm glad I'm glad for when we come to the movie that does its job and chills you to the bone without the gore. Well, and and when you think about a movie like The Omen, there's not much gore in The Omen. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it takes a hell of a lot of effort to come up with a great plot and a great script with great actors that execute everything to a T. And that's why this thing nearly, it's just one half step below something like The Omen for us. Yeah. We talked about it. We talked yeah. about it. We One of us was very close to giving this a five. Yeah. But we just, I don't know what it is about that. Maybe because um, the knock could be that there's so much going on in this film. Um, there are some choices that George C. Scott makes that when you are grieving, don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, it goes, some of this goes against logic. Yeah. So that would be the little half a point knock. I on mean, this movie. you would not, if you were in that position, you wouldn't want to just move and into a big, huge house by yourself and solace. Yeah. I mean, I get understanding, you know, pouring yourself into your work. I get that, but yeah. Now, Carrie, does the Changeling make your top five haunted house list? So surprisingly, and this is even surprising to myself, apparently not. Hmm. Apparently not, but I, I love it. So number five for me, Hell House. As I was saying, the found footage genre. Number four, and we went to the theaters to see this one. Yeah. This is a great one. This is a great one. The Conjuring. This is a good modern example. Yeah. Hey. We left the theater thinking, oh. Yeah. We were creeped out yeah. by that one. We were creeped yeah. out. I think you know going into this that it's about possession. You know it's about the warrants and whatnot. But it still had a mystery as to what was the history causing this evil. Okay. So anyways, what's yeah. your number three? The Innkeepers. That's a good one. Is a really good one. Yeah. It's it's uh we actually got some of our family members to watch it that are not big horror fans, mm -hmm. and they enjoyed it. That one will creep you out. That one sticks with you. Oh yeah. That one's quietly creepy. Yes. Uh, what about number two, Carrie? So this one's a, a classic, Amityville Horror. All you need is Rod Steger and some flies. This is what I mean. That's another one that doesn't have gore in it, really. Yeah. Now, what about number one? Number one. I mentioned it earlier. Yeah, The Uninvited. I was that taken away with it. I was surprised that that was your number one. But the more I think about that movie... You get it. It's a great one. It's yeah. One. Plus, I can always sucker you in with an old black and white. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know I'll watch anything in black and white. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it does it, you know what the changeling does make my top oh, five well i have some honorable mentions oh, well, excuse me sorry go ahead go for so it. the changeling does make an honorable mention for me as the night house yes for sure uh -huh. and paranormal activity hmm 
I, yeah, I mean, Paranormal Activity is good. It's not my favorite. Part three is, but now, you know, we're splitting hairs there for honorable mention. Uh, yeah, it, like I started saying, it does make my top five. Number five, I've got to go with Ethan Hawke and Sinister. I forgot. A lot of people do. A lot of people don't want to give him credit. Oh, no, that was, that creeped me out. He's picking some good ones lately. I mean, can you believe that one's like, what, 10 or 12 years old already? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I mean, you put Ethan Hawke in any movie and I'm down to watch. Me too. I have no problem saying I've got a man crush on the Hawkster. Uh, number four, Poltergeist. Now, technically, Poltergeist 2 is my favorite, but it's not as much of a haunted house flick as the first, in my opinion. Number three, I'm with you, the Amityville Horror. Number two, I love it, maybe not quite as much as you, the Uninvited, and the Changeling comes in at the one spot as my yeah. favorite haunted house film. I'm surprised you didn't put Hell House on. I'm very surprised. Yeah. You love that movie. I do love it. It's too goes too demonic too fast. And there's some things about it that while great, it doesn't give me enough mystery. If we're just if we're talking about putting stuff up against the change lane and the uninvited and everything, it doesn't measure up for me as much. Again, I'm nitpicking. Um, honorable mention to one that has a similar title, but with Roddy McDowell, The Legend of Hell House, mm. which my only knock on that is there's too much ah, screaming. Um, we are still here with Larry Fezzenden, uh, that's set in the, in the early 80s. Uh, Larry Fezzenden of, um, well, T. West, he helped T. West, and he did Brooklyn 45. He was the um, guy at the beginning of your next that gets killed in the living room. He's Larry Fezzenden is in Habit, which you still need to watch. Larry Fezzenden. Uh, and the family animated movie Monster House. <laughs> Otherwise is... known as, in our, our family, Halsey. Halsey, that's right. Zombie Toots. It's a that, great... was, that was his favorite film for a really long time. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's a, Even though it's animated and it's a family movie, it, it's got a little bit of creep factor to it. It took us forever to figure out that that's what Halsey meant. <laughs> <clears throat> great atmosphere for a... Uh, well, that, that was kind of like a period piece, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so time to close out episode 47, Haunted Happenings in A Minor, with a random topic for once. Now, do not look at okay. the answers, Carrie. All right. Uh, just focus on me. I am. And my big head. Um, first question, we're going to do horror trivia, by the way. Okay. I don't know if I said that or not. You didn't. Okay. Well, here we go. This is not planned. RIP to this man. He just passed away this past week. Name Carl Weathers' character in Predator. And, and, <laughs> you, if you remember the scene where they see each other for the first time in a long time and they give that big manly handshake and he says, blank, you son of a bitch. Oh my God. It, dun, it, it's escaping me. Dun, dun, dun. It's, it's, I'm completely blank. Carl Weathers' character is named Dylan. <laughs> Dylan, you son of a bitch. Okay, now, Carrie. See, I apparently don't pay attention to names. Oh, you better know this next one or you're in real trouble. <laughs> what actor voiced the cartoon Creep in Creep Show 2? We just talked about him last week in our Shivers episode. He played the scientist 
His name begins with a J. Oh, I can see him. With the big nose. I can see him. Hello, kitties. Oh, my God. Have this pickle. <laughs> Apparently, I'm terrible with freaking names. Character's name is Joe. Well, not the character's name. The actor's name is I, Joe Silver. I, I just was going to say, I know they used his name in Shivers, and his name is a character. Yes. Now, next question. Sorry. Not a good start. Oh, no. Which 2014 Australian horror film features a scary creature in a children's book? Say that again. Which 2014 Australian horror film features a scary creature in a children's book? Zombie Toots and Ghostly Puppers just asked what this movie was about, and they had it on Joe Bob. I'll give you a clue. He wears a top hat. Oh, the Babadook. Yay! Ding, 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 ding. Correct. I didn't realize that was Australian. <clears throat> yes. Look at me. Don't look at the answers. I'm not. Hey. I'm not. Next question, Carrie. In Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, what book does Ash put on top of a garbage can to trap his severed hand? Hmm. <laughs> this is a tough one. Uh, I... Uh, nope. Shit. Nope. That's not the name of the book. Uh, <laughs> I don't pay. It, I apparently <laughs> don't pay attention. A farewell to arms is the name of the book. Oh my goodness. Severed hand, arms. Yeah. Gosh. Ha ha okay. ha ha ha. Clever. Okay. Now, next question, and this is very apropos. I'm failing at this. That's okay. I wanted it to be hard. This I, is, you wanted this me is, to. You wanted me to fail. I did not want you to fail. I wanted to give some actual hard questions to our horror listeners out there. Okay, it can't you be know like I'm terrible. It can't be like, name the character whose mom was the villain in the first movie. Everybody knows that shit. It has to be hard. We've got hardcore horror hounds in our audience. Well, apparently, I'm terrible with names. Okay, listen. I, I listen. There was much harder ones out there. I, I know. Gone really I know. Obscure. I know you put. I had to balance casual fan with hardcore fan, but I am having a lot of fun. You get it wrong. <laughs> what was the name of the town in 1981's My Bloody Valentine, which we're going to talk about next week, by the way? Oh, sh- um, something bluff. Yes. It's very simple, and it's very much tied into the title of the movie. Valentine Bluff. Valentine's Bluff. Good. Ding, 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 ding. The judges will accept that answer. <laughs> um, now, yes, again, episode 48. You have a thing for names. You do realize that, which is like one of my cruxes. Yes, I do. What's your name again? <laughs> What's my name again? Um, I, I remember my fake name I used to give people. You almost gave me a fake screen name once, too. I did. I almost did. So I was anyways. this close to not to not giving you my real screen name, God. my AOL instant message name. So. That dates me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be talking about the original My Bloody Valentine next week. I'm very excited about that. That's going to be episode 48. Now, name a 19, speaking of 1981, name a 1981 werewolf movie. Not named The Howling or An American Werewolf in London. And we're going to talk about this movie later on this season, too. Wolfen? Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Wolfen. I love that movie. Hey, speaking of T-West, we've got Tom Noonan in that yeah. movie, by the way, in a small part. Okay, next question. What is the name of our main female character in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? 
O-K-O-K-L-A. Oh, my God. Begins with an S. <sighs> I want to say something else. Go ahead, say it. Wrong. It's, it's completely wrong. Okay, you want me to tell you? Character's name is Stretch. Yeah, and I was going to say Roxy. Roxy? <laughs> kind of looks like a Roxy, I guess. Okay, now, name the actor who starred in A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Vamp, and in Shag. Dark-haired guy, dark yeah, skin. Yeah, I know, I know exactly. He he plays the love interest of, of Phoebe Cates. Yeah. Um, I don't remember his name. His name is Robert Rustler is the answer. But yep. I knew who he was. Yeah, except you don't know his name. I told you I'm terrible with names. And that's why I chose these questions. <laughs> okay, next question. No looking, Carrie. I'm not. I'm taking a she's drink. Che- guys, she's cheating. Don't believe a word she says. People with pee heads cheat all the time. <laughs> no, we do not. What actor? We are one of the most honest people ever. Pee heads unite. What actor had roles <laughs> in both Friday the 13th Part 2, Christine, which we're going to talk about later this season, and Once Bitten? The color of his hair is oh, red. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. His name rhymes with Glue Farno. <laughs> Stu. Yes, yes, yes. Glue Farno, not Glue Farno, but Stu Charno. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. With a little help. Now, <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Name the first Phantom of the Mall movie. Oh, Eric's Revenge. Correct, and that's so good because ding, ding, ding. That was a trick question. <laughs> Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. It was the first, last, and only Phantom of the Mall movie. <laughs> they wanted the title of Eric's Revenge to get people interested, to make it seem like part of a franchise and a sequel. So people were like, "What do you mean, Eric's Revenge? Where's the first one? <laughs> revenge against what? <laughs> <laughs> like you wanted yeah, revenge, revenge against theme. season two? No, revenge against nothing because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, now. Last question. All right. Last question. Daily host John Stewart played what part in the faculty? Which we're going to be covering much later this season. He played a teacher. Correct. We will take that answer because it's a name that I wouldn't even get. I, I was trying to like yeah. remember what the teacher. Professor Furlong was yeah. his name. That's that's probably the hardest question out of everything. Well, guys, listen, that wraps it up for episode 47, The Changeling. Hope you guys are having a great February. Next week, we are going to be celebrating Valentine's Day with, as I said, the 1981 classic maybe the mother of all canadian tax shelter films a great great slasher with a pretty good remake mm-hmm. 1981's my bloody valentine i'm excited i'm excited for that episode can i just say that i'm really excited will you be my valentine i'm always your valentine will you come down to the mines with me and make out? <laughs> no because no. with my luck we get like locked in and die killed by a pickaxe yeah love you guys peace out have a great weekend enjoy